Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Oldfield Consultancy um, AI podcast. Today, we've got Kanapriya with us. Kanapriya is in the AI Special Interest Group of the Institute of Science and Technology, which is how we met. Um, Kanapriya, do you want to introduce yourself and give us a bit of detail about your background? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me. So, yeah, I'm Kanapriya. Um, I currently work uh, in an insurance company. Uh, I work within the portfolio steering team, which is part of the property and specialty business unit. So my role mainly involves working on various uh, data analytics and actual initiatives to support that business unit and also sort of um, developing, uh, contributing to the development of these uh, internal analytical products that our team is responsible for. Uh, before that, I was uh, working as a data science consultant at a startup. So there, my role was uh, maybe developing data-driven solutions for various businesses like finance, uh, retail, and FMCG. What's the biggest difference, do you think, between being a consultant and an employee within um, data science? Is there a big difference in, in what you kind of are expected to do or the kind of work that you undertake? Definitely. I think one of the biggest difference is that when you're working as a consultant, um, you're working across various industries. You don't really have uh, that sort of time to really understand the business and um, you know, really think about how this all connects, really. So it is just more sort of on the basis of this is sort of the project or this is the client requirement and this is the solution you need to come up with. So whatever you're working on, you really have to narrow down on that specific problem. Uh, but now working in a business and uh, sort of creating uh, these analytical products and these initiatives, what we really need is sort of look at things from a more holistic point of view, really understand the business. So I think that's, that's the key difference because you have to spend time understanding the business, understanding the requirements of uh, uh, what, what you want to do with those uh, analytics and really uh, you know, meeting with uh, stakeholders and understanding what the requirement is and sort of then coming up with ideas on uh, you know, what is the analytics that can be used to sort of support uh, the decision making. So when you're kind of coming up with these solutions and you work in a highly technical area, where do you kind of start? You said that you get requirements from stakeholders, but then where do you kind of start with formulating the technical solution? So first is, I think, the point where you're really understanding what the requirement is, and then it's translating that requirement into uh, an, a solution. So the starting point would be, right, so what is the data that we need in the first place, right? And that is that is within a lot of organizations, right? They are, they're all sitting on large amounts of data. They have different systems where they capture data. And I think the first step is really understanding, right, which is the data that is best suited for this requirement. Then what sort of insights do we want from the data? What are the insights that would directly support uh, the stakeholder uh, in that specific uh, business problem? And then that sort of just flows. Do you kind of create large technical solutions in terms of using algorithms and that kind of thing? And if you do, how do you start to formulate that? So my current role uh, is not sort of uh, where we use a lot of algorithm solutions, but uh, my previous role uh, where I was working as a consultant, a lot of it depended on uh, creating these uh, 
machine learning models. Um, and that's, that's again, sort of uh, based on what one is the requirement. Sometimes it can be done with uh, a very sort of simple technique, uh, just maybe, you know, some sort of visualizations, et cetera, that also help in answering the question. But sometimes if the request is more complex, you really have to think about uh, what sort of models would suit this requirement the best. Then if you have uh, an idea of what sort of models you could use, uh, one is, is the data that could be used for that specific model. So it, it's really sort of going back and forth between uh, what model would work the best and uh, the data quality and what sort of uh, inputs you can derive from the data. When you talk about models, um, it can seem really black box to a lot of people. I mean, when we're talking about kind of machine learning, um, I'm not sure what models that we currently class under that, maybe neural networks, maybe um, kind of speech, that kind of thing. So what kind of suite of models exist um, for people to use that work in this area that um, you could explain to kind of the lay person? That's, I think, a very good point. A lot of time when you're working uh, from someone uh, from a business uh, point of view, it's difficult to be able to explain these models um, and really understand why you're getting the result that you're getting. And if if, like you said, if you use something like neural networks, it can definitely seem very black box and then difficult to explain uh, from a business point of view. So that's why I think the key is starting simple, right? A lot of times, like say a simple linear regression, which is something that uh, uh, anyone who's done sort of uh, basic statistical sco uh, scores is familiar with. But that is always a very good starting point, right? And that really helps uh, not just maybe if you use the linear regression, you know, you have the result that you wanted, but also it can help in establishing sort of a baseline model. So if you were to use something more complex, right, say a neural network, and it's easy to compare, right? If you're getting a better result with a linear regression than you're getting with a neural network, why complicate things in the first place, right? It's, it's good to go with linear regression because that is something that a lot of people understand and even if they are not familiar with it, it's very easy to explain just as a simple equation. Machine learning. So if, if you've got um, um, an algorithm um, and you're producing output for a certain project, how do you ensure that the, the process and the algorithm um, or the, the program or the model are transparent so that the stakeholder knows what's happening? Because sometimes we can end up leaving models to themselves and they might end up producing something that looks similar to what we expect, but actually they're not processing things in the correct way. So how can we make that transparent? I think one of uh, the ways I like to handle this is that um, say I put whatever my input into the model and then I look at the output. Can I, based on whatever features that the model is using, can I myself, understand why this would be the case? Can I see patterns within the data that suggest that this output makes sense? So I think that's a good starting point, right? So always, whenever you have your output, can we then just look at the raw data, maybe do some visualizations, et cetera, and see that does this output really make sense? Um, and a lot of, most of the cases where I've seen, right? It's, it's, it's a clear cut 
uh, answer that yes, I, I see why this is the output we're getting. Um, when it's not, then think what you could do is start with something simpler um, or sort of look at uh, thing. one of the methods that uh, I know a lot of people uh, use is sort of look at say a tree-based method because there it's very clear at what point uh, the data is uh, getting sort of classified or, or split uh, based on the various uh, input features. So then it's sort of easier to see. And then it really helps in sort of having a visualization of how this machine learning model had actually worked and how the output uh, that we get was actually generated. How do you go about addressing concepts such as, um, and, and these are quite big questions actually, um, things like fairness and bias. I mean, bias, we talked to uh, Richard Saldana on another podcast about how uh, we might, we would treat it completely differently in statistics from a language point of view in terms of we might want bias or, or something like that. But the term bias um, has kind of evolved in machine learning to include things that are maybe discriminatory. So fairness and bias are kind of two of the buzzwords at the minute. How do you kind of deal with those? Obviously, I think that's a very, uh, very important topic uh, right now uh, in AI and machine learning. And I think uh, what I'd like to do is talk about uh, a very sort of recent example, which was the uh, Apple and the Goldman card, right? Which was uh, sort of, uh, being discriminatory, it was uh, offering a uh, more uh, higher credit limit to men than women. And digging a little deeper into this, right? What, what the spokes, uh, spokespeople said was, right? We don't know how this is actually discriminating because uh, we don't, we're not even using gender as an input. So this is not possible. And not only that, gender was not even sort of a, a measured variable and which 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 doesn't necessarily mean that there was no impact of gender there could be other variables that suggest uh, the gender say uh, maybe education level or uh, sort of uh, how long somebody worked because there are times you know women uh, sort of take a break uh, to raise family etc and those are the sort of inputs that may have been still in the model so whether or not explicitly gender was included, this was still being discriminatory. And by not even measuring gender or measuring or having gender uh, in, in sort of the, the whole data or whatever they were using, it would have been impossible to detect a bias if it wasn't even tested on gender. So it's, it's really a matter of, yes, of course you're not including that variable, but you should still sort of test and see whether this uh, algorithm is sort of treating everybody fairly. That's quite an interesting point because I, I feel like maybe if that had included all the information in the model, um, it might have picked up a lot earlier that it was, it wasn't necessarily discriminating against people, but it was picking up what the facts were in, in, in the model and the societal kind of, um, implications were like you say if a woman takes time off to raise a family then maybe it's not going to give her a, a, a big enough kind of credit card or a credit card at all because the man's actually earning and the woman isn't but the woman is um using the household income so actually those societal nuances are not being picked up in the model so 
is there a way in which we can kind of maybe include this or maybe look at um you know protect characteristics should we maybe include those we don't have to declare them at the end we can probably remove them at some point but should we be testing on them yeah i think of course a sort of um a sort of holistic test before something like this something that a major is sort of rolled out to the public i think it's definitely a full-fledged testing should be done uh, just to make not only make sure whether the algorithm is working fine or not, but also identify identify areas where it's not working. So not only is it important to sort of see where it's going well, but also really understand the blind spots of any model. So I think that that's a very important issue for uh, to handle something that's sort of this sensitive is that really also checking on what the blind spots of the model could be. Yeah, I, I think that's so important. I think there's so much kind of, um, especially kind of in, in justice uh, type algorithms where you're looking at disproportionate treatment of um, black communities and white communities and that kind of thing. And it's not necessarily to do with that. It's to do with where people are situated and what's going on in that area and that kind of thing that aren't, this information is not getting fed into the model. And because of that, the model is only able to work on the, the pure data that it has. And therefore, it's, it's exactly. just not able to understand enough to do something that's reasonable for society. And then that can even be amplified where the model suggests certain things. But actually, these, these things are massively discriminatory. But it's because we've not picked up the societal nuances in the first place. Absolutely. So if your data has these biases in the first place that's what a model will give you as well. Just to pick up on the language with this, because this is something that I've, I've been researching. When we say the data's got biases in it, in statistics, we would just look at that as that's what the data is and that's what we're working with. And if yeah. that, whatever comes out at the end, that's what it is. But this has evolved into now, um, we're saying that the data's got the biases in it. Um, when we're saying that, I'm interested to know what, what it kind of means, because does that mean that, that the data is reflecting society or that the data is reflecting biases in society? Because I think the whole, when we say the data is biased or the model is, is being biased, it seems to me to be a bit of a language issue, which is saying that the algorithm's biased and the algorithm can't itself be biased. It has to just do what it's told to do, but on the data that it's given. What do you think to that kind of terminology? Yeah, I think that's absolutely sort of gray area, right? So when you say that this is this is what the data represents, right? It's it might not necessarily be that uh, you know there was there was something wrong with the data, but it's just how um, it just reflects the biases that already exist in society. Um, Do you think that there's there's um, something to be done within kind of unit testing where we're doing validation and verification models? There's there's something there where we can do, you know, a whole lot more testing to determine kind of use the cycle scenarios maybe and, and put different types of, you know, this is a lady that's at home and she's looking after her children. This is a man that's at work. What happens? What's the difference? If we put different permutations of this testing, what happens? Is there more that you think, because I'm, I'm not really involved in testing at the minute of different models other than um, 
kind of military models but if you were going to do this in in kind of finance or something like that do you think there's more to be done in terms of testing yeah absolutely right but i think it, it also sort of gets to the point right um when when you're looking things from sort of a business perspective right there's always timelines there's always budget constraints all of that so the, a whole full-fledged testing is not something that's always possible right and and it's usually sort of uh, all of this whole process needs to happen very quickly and there are a lot of areas where things could be improved right even even sort of the whole uh, data collection process and like you suggested right try out different permutations and combinations but but also keeping in mind right from from if if there's a big business and if there's constraints involved right this is not something that is always possible and would be good to have would be ideal but in in the real world right it's it's not uh, something that's always possible do you think that's a large ethical consideration the fact that we might not have the budget or the resource to test well enough before this this kind of model gets implemented and in that i refer to kind of you know the home office um algorithm that cost a lot of money and got pulled out the apple card that created a lot of pr issues is it worth putting more effort up front to avoid these types of problems when we launch models? Yes, absolutely. I think one, it's it's one how sensitive uh, the subject is, whatever the model is being used for, right? And one, how, how large scale it is, how many people does it affect? If it's something that's extremely sensitive and if there's something that's large scale, yes, obviously, I think that's something that really needs uh, a full-fledged testing, a more thorough testing and making sure, right, this, this doesn't sort of create uh, any, any fiascos uh, similar, to, similar to Apple. Um, and, and just to kind of um, round up with my last question, um, you were recently featured as a woman in tech at the Institute of Science and Technology. Um, what would your kind of advice be to um, women that are coming into STEM that are maybe unsure about taking a career in STEM? What would your advice to them be? Yes, so I think one thing, one thing also to keep in mind, right? It's it's um, it's it's becoming uh, sort of more open. I see uh, a lot of women uh, in in tech roles, uh, a lot of women in uh, sort of data science roles, and I mean STEM roles in general, right? So it's it's uh, it's a good time to be here. It's it's really I think, and there's a lot of awareness. Uh, awareness as well, right, uh, of, of how important it is to have uh, sort of more gender diversity on different teams, right? So I think uh, with that view, right, it, it's just like, you know, don't don't shy away, be, be sort of courageous, right, and really have confidence in, in yourself. And I, I know that there's a lot of uh, times I've been, I've been told, right, there are not, not many uh, women uh, who quote uh, when I say, you know, I know how to quote, not many women you know, who, who, who are good at math. And, and these are something that those are perceptions within the society, right? And, and those are not true. There are women who can code. And if you want to code, go ahead and code. If you want, if you want to study a STEM subject, right? That there shouldn't be, uh, there should not be anything stopping you, right? It's, I think it's, it's been, it's been a long time coming and, you know, it's, it, it's time for uh, women to shine in this field. And women can code just as well as men. I mean, we're oh, both absolutely. in maths. So yeah, you, you can actually be in maths and 
you know, do well, I think, and, and still be Absolutely. a female. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Ken and Priya, for, for being part of the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me.